It's showtime. Don't say it, please. Don't say it. No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime. Showtime. It's showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. I am your host, Show, as always. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you're all doing very well. I know it's been a uh, been a while since we last put out a podcast episode. I, ha- I haven't had to say that for a while. Isn't that kind of nice? I haven't had to say that for a while because I actually had been doing very well with the uh, podcast schedule. But uh, as I mentioned, at the conclusion of the, I guess it was the most recent episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast that I was getting married and that uh, all the movies I was going to see, or at least a, a, a large chunk of the movies I was going to see going forward, were uh, going to be in theaters because I was finally going to get my butt back in a movie theater on a more consistent basis. But uh, that my my bride to be, and now I can say my wife, didn't want me going to the movie theaters uh, before the wedding, at the very least, in the uh, on the off chance that some you know there was some outbreak and contact tracing had to happen, and I couldn't you know by direction of the province of Ontario in which we live, I wouldn't have been able to actually attend our own wedding. So um, you know what, I I adhered to all of that, and then uh, I went back to work actually a couple of days earlier than I had planned because the wedding was on a Friday, and then I was going to go back to work not the following Monday, but like the Monday afterwards, so I would have basically a little over a week off. I ended up going back to work uh, less than a week later. I went to back to work on the on the following Thursday um, because I kind of felt bad that my coworkers were, you know, like working by themselves. Like a couple of them, usually our shifts are in twos because we do the Blue Jays post game show, and you know, I I wasn't doing those shifts because I was on vacation, essentially, quote unquote, vacation. And I felt bad. I admit I, I, I admit I felt bad. So I went back to work early. And you know what? I regret it. Never, never do things like that because, you know, how often do we all get vacations or time away, time away from work and time when you're not thinking about work? I, I 100% regret it. Um, but at the very least, I did fill the time by seeing some movies. And, you know, it's funny. Since then, I have actually seen a number of movies at TIFF. So, you know what? We're going to split this these next couple of episodes into two because um, I'm actually because I've been actually going back into work now. I'm actually recording this from the recording studio. So if you're wondering why the sound quality sounds better, then that's why. If you're not wondering that, if you can't tell the difference, then that means the home studio works. But you know what? I can tell the difference. So we're going to try and do things here at the studio uh, from going forward. The other benefit, of course, being that I won't disturb my wife because uh, before I could just kind of record in an empty office and now it's kind of like our shared office. So I kind of have to be mindful of her going forward now that she lives with me now. Right. So uh, this is the solution, which, you know, what works out better anyways, because this is what we were doing at the beginning of the podcast, the podcast's inception. Uh, I would say, right? So uh, here we are with the newest episode of the podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for listening, as I said before. Uh, the three movies we're going to get to today are uh, the newest Marvel offering, right? Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, pardon me, and The Legend of the Ten Rings. We'll talk about Reminiscence, which is the latest uh, from Hugh Jackman and Lisa Joy. Lisa Joy is a director, and uh, Joy was actually the co-creator 
with Jonathan Nolan, I want to say, um, of Westworld, funnily enough, the TV show, the HBO show. And yes, I mean, maybe co-creator, like she is the creator, but it's it's based on a Michael Crichton concept and that itself was a movie back in the what like late 70s or something like that so either way i mean whatever she she brought the uh, more popular adaptation of it to life with jonathan nolan and uh, this is her directorial debut so reminiscence we'll talk about that and we'll also talk about the suicide squad james gunn's suicide squad the suicide squad we have to be careful when we, we talk about the naming conventions because the first one i think was just called suicide squad and this one is called the suicide squad so isn't that fun i i, I gotta say we'll talk about this more in the review for that one but I really do truly think that this movie, it, it, it had some kind of like horrible box office, like week over week, like week one to week two drop in terms of like people who didn't go. And I'm sure COVID is always going to play a part in that for, from now until the end of probably next year. But it's just funny to think that a lot of people probably thought, well, what's the point? Like, what is this the same? Is it the same movie? Is it a reboot? Is it a sequel? Is it a completely different take? Like, I I think a lot of people were confused. So anyways, we'll talk about that in a sec. But uh, why don't we start with the the reviews here of these three movies? Why don't we start with Shang-Chi? Because Marvel's latest offering, I got to tell you, was quite a blast. And I got to see it in theaters. So let's start the reviews for this episode. Again, Marvel's latest Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. In them dollars, but you're too tame. I ain't for the south, but I appreciate the word grain. Never calling me about the noise. It's only two men. I'm in the same building, but the flows and view change. I, I forget if I said this on the podcast before, but uh, when I saw the trailer for this movie, I was hyped immediately. Like, you know, some people you see trailers and, you're, and you go, eh, you know what? Maybe it's not going to be very good. Maybe you're not. I'm not sure how I feel about this, you know? I, the trailer was too long or I've, I've been oversaturated or maybe you just weren't intrigued by whatever was on the screen. That's entirely possible, right? And I felt that way about Black Widow. I remember seeing the trailer being like, eh, it's fine, right? It's fine. And that's kind of how that was. If you guys remember my review, that's kind of like the, the Coles Notes version of it. Yeah, it was fine. Whatever. Black Widow's whatever. Shang-Chi, I'm very pleased to say, and now that I've had a couple of weeks to think about it, uh, I'm very pleased to say that I still think Shang-Chi, as I did immediately after leaving the movie theater, I still think it is one of the best origin stories for any Marvel movie that has come out. And that goes all the way back to 2008 when Iron Man came out with Robert Downey Jr. to kick the whole shebang off, right? Shang-Chi is phenomenal. Look, and here's the other thing. If you think about the origin stories in the MCU, honestly, there's not a lot of competition for best origin story. Like, what are the what are the origin stories for the different heroes? Like I'm talking to the guys who got their own movies, right? Black Widow is not an origin story, right? Because this is just a continuation of a story of a character who's introduced in Iron Man 2. So it's not her origin story. Like it is via flashbacks, but it's not in a sense her first introduction to viewers is what I'm saying, right? So we're not going to count Black Widow. Iron Man, the very first one, still very good. Captain America and the First Avenger, eh kind of a mediocre movie honestly like the the better captain america movies are all the subsequent ones right people still think to this day that winter soldier is a very good movie but the first one kind of kind of blah right kind of blah thor i like kenneth brana and we'll talk about that in the tiff episode a little more but uh yeah thor eh, a little overwrought right i mean i understand the shakespearean stuff he tried to bring to it but yeah thor was kind of meh 
Who else? Black Panther? Phenomenal. Black Panther was great. You guys know I love Black Panther. Uh, the, the movie, the, pardon me, the music that Run the Jewels did for, uh, for that movie, or at least that was used on the soundtrack, is the intro to this podcast, right? So, I mean, I love, I love Black Panther. That's probably still tops for me. And uh, then Guardians of the Galaxy is probably the other one. Ant-Man is up there too, but Ant-Man, yeah, it was fine, right? So, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, again, yes, that was very good, but it's also the intro for, like, a whole bunch of different characters, right? Honestly, after Black Panther, as much as I still love Iron Man on the whole for what it does for the MCU, I got to say, I think Shang-Chi is right after Black Panther. It was absolutely phenomenal. I've used that word a lot so far. It was terrific. And I mean, I'm not going to talk too much about the plot because I think, you know, I think if you want to go see this movie, you should go in with as little knowledge about it as possible like I did, and I think you'll be very, very, very pleasantly surprised. But I will say that the uh, standout, Simu Liu, of course, a Canadian actor. Uh, I've met the guy a couple times because he lived in my building, funnily enough, um, when he was still on Kim's Convenience, a CBC show, which is also a very good TV show. If you, you know, kind of ends abruptly because of some behind-the-scenes shenanigans. But at the same time, if you, uh, if you, like, if you like him, I think you'd like that movie. Um, but uh, but I digress. As as far as he him as far as, as far as it goes for him playing Shang Chi, he is uh, really good. Aquafina is the uh, best friend, kind of like main like main female character, I suppose. Right? Like there's another female character, um, Shang Chi's sister. But I would say like from you know in terms of from beginning to end and the relationships and how they're how they relate to one another, Aquafina's character um, is 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 ever present more than the sister character is. And I will I will say Aquafina. You guys know I like Aquafina. Going back to even before the farewell, but certainly the farewell being a movie we talked about on this podcast, she was phenomenal. And I think ever since then I've kind of viewed her in a different light. But she was great. Uh, but of course the and you know like Michelle Michelle Yeoh was in this movie and she has a very like, almost like a bit part. Um, but again, very good. Right? There was a, a fun little surprise cameo that I'm not going to spoil here. But also that 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 kind of adds to the uh, second half of the movie, making it a lot more fun. But I'll I'll say this: Tony Leung is a treasure. Right? That guy is phenomenal. I will like, I have watched certainly not every movie he's been in because he's been in a lot of friggin' movies. But and certainly Infernal Affairs, which is uh you know i would is that is that his most popular movie i'm not sure but it's certainly something that i feel like american on north american audiences should be aware of because it is of course the movie that the departed essentially i like it's a remake of the depart or the departed is a remake of infernal affairs but like i mean it's it's so close a remake you could almost say it's a ripoff instead of being inspired by but Whatever, Infernal Affairs, very good. Hero, I want to say, is another one um, that I've seen a, a long time ago. That was really good. And there was one, I forgot the name of the movie, but he plays um, Ip Man in it. I want to say it was like The Grand Master or The Greatest Master or something like that. But anyways, he's really, really, really good. And, and I'm sure there are a lot of other ones that I haven't seen that I'm, that I'm missing, that I'm missing out on. But Tony Leung, as the uh, Mandarin character, of course, and they do address the name. He is so cool. He is the coolest character, easily the most the most complicated Marvel villain that we have seen to date and the most entertaining Marvel villain. And I would say, you know, he's he's not really a tragic figure because he's like a bad guy. But the way they make him (laughs) sympathetic, probably in large part due to Tony Leung's performance and portrayal of this guy as a kind of like as a father who does love his kids but doesn't know how to express that he loves his kids, 
right? And he, you know, he, he, he ends up redeeming himself as far as in the eyes of the main characters like Shang-Chi and his sister throughout this whole movie. But uh, yeah, that was, he, he is, he by himself is worth the price of admission alone. Um, the other thing too is they speak, a lot of the, the non-English lines in this movie are, sub. I mean, all of them are, are subtitled obviously, right? Um, and uh, there are some points where Tony Leung speaks to other characters and there's a particular line like in the last like third of the movie, let's say, where uh, Tony Leung says something to another old character. And if you're familiar with the Mandarin character just from Marvel Comics, he's not as old. He's older than he looks, I should say. I was going to say he's not as old as he looks, which I, I suppose is also you know <laughs> technically true. But he is far, far older than he looks. I think it's implied he is like at least a thousand years old or something like that at the very least. But either way... Uh, he meets like another guy who looks like an old man. Like Tony Leung looks like he is like he looks like your typical like middle-aged father, right? And he meets another guy who looks like he could be Tony Leung's father and he says something like the older guy says something to Leung and the Mandarin character speaks back to him and he's like and, and the subtitles say that what the what is said is uh I believe I believe it was um I've lived I want to, I forget what he says. It's like, I, I've lived more lifetimes than you can even imagine or something like that, right? Like, I was, I'm not as old as I look. It was a very simplified answer, even though it was a pretty good diss. I learned afterwards that what he actually says was something like, I've eaten more rice than you have salt or something like that, which honestly is a way better diss than whatever the hell it was. It was, it was a, like, it was a good comeback to just to remind the viewers that he was in fact very old and is like a, a, an accomplished killer. Right. But I will say like the real line is so much better. And I think it like speaks to his character a lot more like the kind of just calm menace he exudes at all times. But, uh, I also kind of think, I don't think it's like a case of Disney subtitling it wrong. I get the sense that it's more almost like a, like an Easter egg. Maybe that's even too strong. Just like if you speak the the native, not the native language, but if you speak like Mandarin or Cantonese, you will understand that more than someone who is just a native English speaker. And it almost feels like given that this is a movie, much like Black Panther was for black people, it does kind of feel like, this is a movie for Asians and Asian Americans and and people all over the world who are of Asian heritage, right? And I think that it, it almost feels like kind of right that they get something that most other audiences wouldn't get. And you still got the gist anyways, right? So I just, I don't know. I, I saw some people online in the last couple of weeks saying, ah, Disney screwed up the subtitles. And I'm like, I don't think they did. I think it was on purpose, frankly. But um, but yeah, it was another a phenomenal film. The action is is really important to note here because... I have said this to you guys before in other movies, like remember the Mortal Kombat movie? One of the things I did not like about it was that every time someone would like cock their arm back to throw a punch, it would cut, it would cut to like another part of the fight. So you won't necessarily see it, right? It happened a little bit in Snake Eyes, less so in Mortal Kombat, but still not a hundred percent. Wasn't great, right? And I think a lot of Western movies do that, and even Marvel movies do that a lot too. But I will say the action and the way it was filmed in this was phenomenal because it like the camera. Like, OK, I'm, I'm going to try and explain this without using visuals, because I, I think uh, watching a YouTube video on this might be a much better way of, of, of getting what I mean. But if the camera is focused, if the middle of the frame is on a guy's fist, 
a normal action movie would just have him cock back and punch a guy. And so his, if his fist is in the middle of the frame, it moved to the right of the frame and then it hit the guy on the left side of the frame without the camera moving. Right. What the director did is the often for every fight, the camera would move with whatever it's looking at. So let's say, let's use that fist example again. The guy cocks back his fist, and the, the fist will always be in the center of the frame. So the camera is, like, moving with this guy's arm, like, moves back, and he punches the guy in the face, and then the camera continues on to see the guy impact. And all. It, I got to say, like, there were some absolutely phenomenally choreographed and filmed fights. And uh, it's nice because the first fight of the movie kind of catches you off guard. And, you it, look, I'm not... I, I guess I can talk about this one a little bit because it's in the trailer. So if you've seen the trailer, you have seen a large part of this fight. Uh, the part where he fights, Shang-Chi fights a bunch of like kind of uh, like faceless henchmen on a bus in San, in, uh, San Francisco, which is where the movie starts off. Aquafina is driving the bus and so on, right? That's the scene that is like kind of in the trailer. That fight comes out of complete nowhere and it just starts and it was absolutely ter- terrific. It was fantastic. And I think not enough movies kind of just kick things off like that. And from there, it's a real roller coaster ride. Lots of other really good fights. Uh, another fight you see in the trailer is a, a fight on the side of a building. That one's really good. Um, there's a fight with uh, the sister. That's also really good. Obviously, at the end, as you might imagine, Shang-Chi fights the Mandarin, his father. That's also really good. The choreography and just the fight sequencing and everything in this film is fantastic. And that's another big reason why I like it so much because it is it is a core part of this movie. And it's a lot of fun to watch. And I'll wrap up by saying this. Um, the, uh, the Ten Rings themselves, okay, are different than they are in the comics. As far as I remember, I've only read like a handful of these things. And, and like you, I only, you only see the Mandarin like in passing, let's say, in the comics I read when I was like in high school. But the, as far as I remember, the Ten Rings were things that they, like he wore them like actual rings, like on his fingers. Like he had, I mean, we all have ten digits for for the most part. And uh, he wore ten rings on all four of his, on all eight of his fingers and both of his thumbs, right? Is a thumb a finger? Right? It is. It's a digit. Is it a finger? I'm not actually sure. Anyways, all ten of his digits he wore rings. And obviously, if you've seen the trailer, the rings are like big enough to fit over his arms. Like they go all the way up, like like to his elbows, I guess, right? And then when he's when they're like inner, they're kind of just they kind of like just hover around his wrists, kind of like bracelets, I guess, right? The ten rings are so cool. Like despite the fact that they took away from the comics the idea that each ring gave the Mandarin like a different kind of power, like there was like an ice ring and a fire ring and a levitation ring and a I don't know, like all sorts of stuff. Maybe it would, it would have been too similar to the Infinity Stones because it does kind it is a kind of reminiscent of that from the comics. But in the um, in the movie they they're kind of like. Uh, Ener- like they just they'll do whatever he wants basically but they're like energy transmitters or something like that and of course the mystery of where they come from and 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 what they're going to do next and how they factor into the larger mcu that's like a that was essentially the big a big part of like the easter eggs but for the most part it's not a concern during the movie other than the mandarin can do really cool stuff with them and i gotta say like the sound effects that go around the ten rings are the coolest things you'll ever hear like if you haven't seen the movie yet or if you have seen the movie just think back to what you thought of the sound effects when the rings were moving all around, because they were really cool, I gotta say. But, uh, yeah, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, probably the movie that we've all been kind of waiting for. Like, you know how they say, um, like they were saying, like, Tenet was going to be the movie we're all going back to see in the theaters. Tenet's going to save movie theaters. And then it didn't, right? And then it was, Space Jam 2 is going to save movie theaters. We're all going back to see Space Jam, And then it didn't, right? 
I'm not necessarily saying that any one movie even is going to save movie theaters. It's certainly not going to be Shang-Chi in terms of saving movie theaters. But I will say that Shang-Chi is the movie, if, if you were on the fence about going back to a movie theater, if you feel it's safe, but you're like, eh, do I really want to worth see? Do I want to risk seeing like Space Jam 2 in movie theaters? Like, no, you, no, you don't probably. But I think Shang-Chi is worth seeing in a, in a theater. Uh, the crowd was very sparse in mind. Probably, again, a COVID thing. But, like, it was nice going to see it in theaters because I would say, like, including myself and my, my roommate who went to see it with me, there were probably, like, 35 to 40 people in this, like, 150 to 200-person movie theater. And everyone was so into it. Everyone's laughing at the same jokes and everyone. It just, I had missed that. I kind of had missed that. Because when I went to go see, like, The Green Knight and, and Snake Eyes and stuff, I mean, those movies, first of all, Green Knight's not exactly a, a huge comedy. And uh, and Snake Eyes was, like, was middling at best. So I think uh, seeing a genuinely enjoyable movie with people who were also there and really were into it was something really I had missed. I got to say, I had missed it. But, uh, yeah, Shang-Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings, absolutely phenomenal film if you haven't seen it you're missing out and and you know what if you don't want to go see it in a movie theater it's coming out on disney plus i want to say at the beginning of november so uh yeah shang chi a worthy addition let's say to the uh, marvel cinematic universe next on the docket we have reminiscence which is the latest film as i mentioned in the intro from lisa joy the first feature film i should say from lisa joy so let's get right to it starring hugh jackman and thandy newton reminiscence I mentioned before the uh, before the intro music that uh, Lisa Joy is the co-creator of Westworld, and she, this is her directorial debut. Um, she cre- co-created Westworld with Jonathan Nolan, but I only mentioned Westworld because there are a number of of uh, you know the HBO shows alumni in this movie, right? Certainly, most notably, Fanny Newton um, and, and Newton. It's it's remarkable to think that I think the first movie I ever saw her in was Mission Impossible 2. Do you guys remember that one? I think Ang Lee directed that movie. And uh, here she is, still starring in movies decades later, right? And, uh, I mean, certainly she was in Star Wars, um, which she spoke out about recently. She was in Reminiscence, Westworld. Uh, And you know what? She was great in Reminiscence. And, like, generally speaking... I like Thandie Newton and Hugh Jackman, the star as well. I'll watch virtually anything Hugh Jackman is in at this point because I just, I think I, I like Hugh Jackman. What are you going to say, right? I know we like like to review movies, but we can all have favorite actors. <laughs> I like Hugh Jackman, right? Um, certainly because of X-Men, but I mean, ever since he stopped being Wolverine, I haven't stopped watching his movies, so it's probably not going to stop anytime soon. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson also in this, but I'll say this, like the, the main concept of reminiscence is so it takes place in like a dystopian future. Uh, when the uh, global warming ostensibly, even though they never really say it, but global warming has like melted the ice caps and caused the global water levels to rise. So every city on Earth is like half underwater and uh, the, the sun has gotten so harsh that uh, night has become day and day has become night. So daytime is when like you go to sleep and nighttime is when like stores open and like you go to work and all that stuff. Right. It was also implied there was some kind of war recently. And I guess like. All that to say, it's a very, very interesting world that Lisa Joy has created. As far as I'm aware, it's not based on a book or any kind of you know existing story that she's adapting. She created this, and I think it's a fascinating world she has created. Like I almost feel like 
it's it's easy to say this these days, but I almost feel like Reminiscence would have been much better off as a TV show where we could have learned a little bit, a little bit at a time about what this new world looked like. You know what I mean? Like, I think that would have been the, the more preferable way because it's implied that uh, Hugh Jackman's character and Thandie Newton's character, and you know what? I don't even remember their names because their their characters themselves, they do their damnedest, but the every like virtually every character in this movie is instantly forgettable. Um, Cliff Curtis is in this movie as well, kind of as like the villain, kind of. And you know what? Like, I barely remember any of their names, Jackman, Curtis, Newton, Ferguson, despite the fact that they're, you know, all pretty to look at and so on. It's it, just because... I don't know. You just, it's hard to care. It's hard to care about any of them, right? Like you, you learn that Hugh Jackman's character and Thandie Newton's character were in the war together. And then they kind of opened this memory bank service, right? So where like you can go and relive your memories over and over again for a cost because, and like the idea being like life sucks. So like why live through things now when you can just live through your memories and the happier times in your lives and st- stuff like that. Right. And I just feel like, again, there's a there's a great idea in there somewhere. There is, but and and the world Lisa Joy created is so fascinating. But the dialogue and the characters and their uh, their intentions and their motivations are just they're kind of boring, right? Like I think you learn in the end that like the twist was that. Hugh Jackman fall. Okay, I guess the whole concept is that Hugh Jackman falls in love with Rebecca Ferguson's character, who comes in to the uh, who comes into the uh, like the memory bank, memory shop place, and he falls in love with her because he finds her really interesting. And they 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 begin an affair, and then you basically learn later on that she was like setting, she was like a con artist, and she was like you know he was a he was a mark from the beginning, but then like actually she was in love with him, and then she disappears one day, and he never sees her again, and he goes on a on an increasingly maddening search to find her. Right, that like as as you might imagine, and like. Hugh Jackman does pretty well as like the frantic uh, partner searching for his lost love. But again, like none of the dialogue was particularly snappy. The action, very little of it, right? It was like the movie kind of plays like a detective noir sci-fi thriller where like it's like the like it was a dark night in the city of Miami. It was raining. But then again. It rains every day. And you're like, all right, okay, Hugh Jackman. I, I get it. I get the I I see the water, okay? I get it, buddy. <laughs> I don't know. It's again, it's not is it a bad movie? I don't think so. Did I like at the time, generally speaking, enjoy it? Sure. But I don't really think uh, yeah. It's just like the characters themselves are just so bland. I can't get over that. That's that's the real sticking point for this film. That's the real problem, right? But anyways, I I watched this one um, on demand, and I would say it's probably best to wait for this one to come out on Netflix. If you like the idea of the dystopian future, maybe you'll find it a little more interesting. But like the villain, not a lot of interesting motivation there. You know what I mean? Like the I I think Thandie Newton's character is the most interesting in the end. And like she's like a side character in this film. Right. So that's the real that's the real problem. But I digress. Reminiscence. Yeah. By Lisa Joy. An interesting idea for her directorial debut. But ultimately speaking, you can probably wait for this one to uh, come out for free on Netflix or, uh, you know, the two ninety nine on demand movies going forward. Let's wrap up the reviews for this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast with our final review of the episode, The Suicide Squad by James Gunn.
funny. Before I went to go see this movie, um, I uh, was chatting with my sister. Okay, my sister is ten years younger than I am, and I love her very much. She and I get along very much, very well. Uh, we often go see movies together. And I, maybe this would have been one of those movies, but you know, uh, you know, the wedding and and life and all that kind of stuff kind of prevented me from being able to see this with, with anyone. So my wife and I actually watched this movie um, during our time off, but. Uh, my sister went to go see this movie before we saw it, and I remember I asked her how she, what she thought. And her review of this movie, in case you're interested in what a uh, early 20-something-year-old girl thinks of a, the Suicide Squad, she said it was incredibly stupid, very loud, and it was too, like, it didn't take itself seriously enough for her to want to take itself seriously. And my sister likes silly movies, and she hated this one. And it's funny because I don't think anything she said about the Suicide Squad is untrue, which is kind of funny, right? Because in the end, I actually did like the Suicide Squad decently enough. Was it a better movie than that first train wreck made by David Iyer? Yes. Yes, it was. Not even close. Not, it's not a competition. The Suicide Squad is a better movie. It's a better film from top to bottom than Suicide Squad. And I know that's confusing, but... Uh, and I know David Iyer had that that uh, what was it the uh, the Twitter post or whatever a couple of weeks ago where um, where uh, Tim Grierson who actually was on this podcast a couple of years ago Tim Grierson basically said he was like oh Iyer should uh, should give up on the uh, Warner Brothers cut the Iyer cut of the Suicide Squad and he replied with this very like in depth like oh you guys don't know I it was so personal to me I put all my sweat and blood into this and Warner Brothers screwed up my movie you'll never know what it's truly going to be like but don't make fun of me as a filmmaker because the studio did and i'm like all right buddy like you don't have to convince anyone like i know we like sure warner brothers is a little notorious for like bludgeoning the crap out of director's movies sure but i mean it i i have a hard time believing that the raw footage is that much better than what we saw in theaters especially maybe after we saw the Zack snyder cut of um of uh justice league because at best that like that movie was fine at best right so i don't know i i know two different directors snyder and Iyer, but i just i have a hard time believing that his cut of suicide squad would be any better than what we originally saw james gunn's idea of the suicide squad is definitely a little more irreverent and i know the uh, trailer made it seem like there are like a zillion characters that's not really true basically all of the characters i would like except for like 5 of them that you see in the trailers die in the first like i would say 10 minutes of this movie in very entertaining fashion don't get me wrong like nathan fillion and captain boomerang who is jay courtney and all the various different cameos right i want to say um what's the guy from the king of staten island uh from saturday night live pete davidson pete davidson is in this and you know what i mean like all of those characters die immediately and i don't think that's a, a real spoiler because that's kind of like the movie's called the suicide squad they were basically there to die for their country right uh, uh rooker as well michael rooker also an, an entertaining way he's kind of the character through whose eyes you see uh at the beginning of the movie and again i mean it's a glory they're all glorified cameos but the real characters are um Idris Elba, Margot Robbie, um, David Daslamakian, and um, a couple, uh, certainly John Cena, and a couple other guys as well. Sylvester Stallone playing King Shark, Daniela Melchior playing Ratcatcher Two, and Joel Kinnaman as Colonel Rick Flag. Right. So those are the those are the main characters of the Suicide Squad. And I will say, 
I've, I said this before about Hugh Jackman that I'll watch basically anything Hugh Jackman is in when we were talking about Reminiscence. I'll pretty much watch anything Idris Elba is in as well. What a, what a guy. The guy is like, he's a, one, another one of my more favorite actors alive today. He was great as, uh, as Bloodsport. He was, he was funny. He was charming. He was badass. He was cool. David Daslamachian. Uh, also pretty interesting as well as Polka Dot Man. Yeah, you might be wondering, like, what the hell is Polka Dot Man's power? Um, it is that he can throw polka dots that are essentially flattened versions of, like, interdimensional viruses or something. I don't know. It was interesting. And, you know, Margot Robbie plays Harley. You already know what the deal is with Harley. Is that it, was, it was more of the same, which I would argue is not a bad thing because that's exactly what you want and that's exactly what James Gunn wants because Harley is a very popular character and, and even more so because Margot Robbie's playing her. Um, and, and but you know what? Like ge- generally speaking, I, I feel like if you go see the Suicide Squad, you know exactly what you're getting into. You know what I mean? Like it is essentially. If I could boil this down to like a one sentence review, the Suicide Squad uh, from the from the twisted mind of James Gunn, as they had said in the uh, the tagline in the trailers, um, it is like the guardians of the galaxy, but rated R because they cuss and there's more blood. That's essentially it. You know what I mean? And, and like, it's, it's not bad by any means, but it's definitely, it's just such a forgettable movie. Right. And again, I, I feel like Warner brothers still has yet to find the formula that, you know, will allow them to compete more, more commonly, let's say more readily with the Marvel universe movies. Um, and again, that's not a bad thing. I like all all the Batman, Superman movies as well. I grew up with those characters too. I want them to be good. I, I'm not, in case you're wondering, like it's not like a, a Marvel versus DC thing for me. I want all of these movies to be fun at the very least, right? And again, we can have the conversation about like, are these actually movies versus roller coaster rides? As Scorsese said, there were those comments that, uh, that um, Ethan Hawke made a couple of weeks ago about how like, superhero movies these days are like the the westerns of yesteryear and the sense and people got really mad they're like oh you're comparing these movies to john wayne and and the magnificent seven and you how dare you how dare you sir and i and i think people are what, what people forget is that there were a lot of friggin' westerns back then there were a lot i think that's what he was the, comparing it to he was comparing it to the idea that like there are so many superhero movies that the idea is you can do your passion projects, but the easiest way to get paid is to be in a superhero movie. And and hey, I mean, people can 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 turn their noses up at superhero movies all they want. They're not going anywhere. In case you know, in case the box office results of Shang Chi um, have reminded have reminded everyone who forgot, these movies are not going anywhere. Okay, so um, you're gonna have to live with it. But uh, the Suicide Squad, unfortunately, again, you know, I said like Shang-Chi is the movie you should be going back to the theaters for or like you should at least consider the Suicide Squad not is not really it because there are are a few fun moments from all the different characters. Sylvester Stallone having a good one as King Shark, David Daslamaki and having a couple of funny like deadpan moments and they're like dancing in, in, in like this funny little bar scene. Um, Idris Elba as charming as usual. Margot Robbie as charming as usual. Um, I will say, I'll say this. I'll wrap up on this because the music is what it is. It's exactly like the Guardians of the Galaxy, popular music used to underscore serious moments or slow-mo films moments or whatever, right? Um, all very, very good. But uh, I, I still think the pleasant surprise is John Cena as Peacemaker. And I think he is getting his own TV show, at, like, like kind of reprising his role as Peacemaker. But um, he was funny. Like, I got to say, maybe I have a soft spot for John Cena because 
I like wrestling and I did like the wrestling like like John Cena is essentially the last wrestler I watched with any kind of regularity and then I kind of moved on right like we were in living in the world like the the Roman Reigns era and the um I don't know like the uh the Becky Lynch era and so on. Right. But I, I never really got into any of those characters because they were a little past my, past my time. Um, but the undertaker Kane and then John Cena with the, as the last little bit. And he was funny. I mean, we, we've talked about him before when we talked about blockers. Remember that movie? We talked about him before, certainly in other films as well. Other, other like minor appearances, but in one of his first large roles, I've not seen vacation friends yet. I'll probably get around to that in sometime in the near future, but he like he has an excellent sense of comedic timing. He has a face that looks like it's carved from granite and he like he just he is like oh that's the other thing. He's just very physical, obviously, right? And I guess I'm not I'm not surprised because I guess in order to be an, a relatively successful wrestler, you do have to have some kind of acting ability. Uh, and look, is is uh, John Cena going to become the next rock? Probably not. Probably not, in my opinion, because I think it's going to be impossible for anyone to become The Rock. I think he he had the perf- has the perfect blend of likability and and like charm. And John Cena, if like The Rock is like the A tier or the the triple A tier, let's say, then John Cena is like the double A. You know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, he's very very good, and I enjoyed watching him. So hey, if you uh, if if you go watch the Suicide Squad, I, I'm interested to see what you thought. Not only comparing it to the first movie, but what you thought of the acting, specifically John Cena, because uh, I I did like I did like those individual aspects, but on the whole, the Suicide Squad, eh. Yeah, a little forgettable, right? Yeah, Viola Davis is in it, lends it some respectability because, like I've said before, is she one of the greatest actors alive today? Probably, <laughs> probably. Is she one? Of, you know what? Is she one of the greatest actors I have ever seen, ever, and ever will? Maybe, probably, truly. But again, I hope she got paid a phenomenal amount of money. I've used that word a lot today. Phenomenal. Let's let's change it up. I hope she got paid a gargantuan amount of money to be in the Suicide Squad to reprise her role as Amanda Waller because. Uh, yeah, not a lot else going for this movie apart from uh, Elba, Davis, and, uh, of course, John Cena. But, yeah, there you go. The latest entry, at least for now, into the uh, Warner Brothers DCU, The Suicide Squad. That is it from me uh, on reviews for this episode. But as I mentioned, uh, I'm going to be recording the TIFF episode very, very, very soon, um, probably in the next couple of days. And then we'll get that posted basically as soon as possible because TIFF is now over. And I want to talk a little bit about the movies I saw. Um, I saw a whole host of them in studio or not in studio, gosh, in theater, in, in person, let's say. And some were good. Some were good. Some were very good. Some I missed out on, certainly as well. Um, I It was interesting. What they did this year is they gave, if you got accredited, if you got approved as an accredited member of the media, you got, I think it was 12 passes. Maybe it was 10 passes. 12 passes? Let's say 12. 12. You got 12 passes, but the problem was you couldn't progress past the checkout screen on their website because none of the, nothing was like no there were no in-person pass there were no physical passes i should say right there were nothing you didn't get a like a lanyard with your pass on it like you did in years past you didn't get any tickets that you would scan at the theater it's all digital so you had to do everything on the ticketmaster tiff website you download the tickets to your phone if you had an iphone like i do you could put them in your apple wallet and i'm sure there's a, a corresponding one for android phones and what have you but everything was digital. And you know what? There was once I had my movie tickets and the seats were booked, I never had an issue. I had specific seats in each specific theater. 
I, uh, you know, uh, like there were there were no lineups. The movie theater was open an hour before the theater started. So just to avoid having to sit and breathe in the recycled air, I went like maybe 10 minutes before. and I still got to sit in my seat because this it's not first come, first serve. You have your seat, right? And, uh, yeah, it was all – like once – you're actually the day of. It was all pretty smooth. The problem was getting your tickets in the first place. Woo! That was tough. Let me tell you guys, okay? That was not good because it was not very streamlined. But, hey, you know what? They pulled it out in the end. I could not go to every single movie I had a ticket for or um, or uh, wanted to go see online because you had the, they had this thing called Digital TIFF, Digital Pro, I think it's called. And they're, it's basically their online service. It was the, basically the way I saw Minari, actually. So they just opened it up and had a little more stuff with it, uh, you know, more movies added to it for TIFF. And if you uh, bought tickets, like if you weren't a member of the press, that's how you got to see your digital screenings. But they just added every, every movie that was available digitally, they added to that thing. So The Power of the Dog, for example, which I think came in second. No, came in third for the People's Choice Award. That was one I did not get to see because I, I'll say this. I didn't say this off the top of the, the, the podcast episode today, but um, not only did TIFF coincide with just being – like with with me having to go back to work, but it also coincided with the Blue Jays, a team that I actually work on the broadcasts for, um, having their best stretch of the entire season. Like it was something like after the wedding, they had a they had like a a four percent chance of making the playoffs after they lost a number of times to like lowly teams like the Detroit Tigers and the Washington Nationals, and then. They would go on to win like eight straight games, sweeping teams like the Yankees and Athletics. And then like I think it was something like at one point they had an 18-4 and four stretch in September. And here we are near the end of September, and the Blue Jays, I mean, are they guaranteed a playoff spot? No, but are they more likely to make the playoffs than they were when I was getting married? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> right? So because of that, I uh, didn't go see as many TIFF movies as possible. I'd basically go see one movie, and instead of seeing a second one, I'd, like, book it back to work so I could sit in the studio and do Blue Jays stuff, right? So, um, but no, you know what? Uh, TIFF is over. I have seen a number of movies, so in the next episode, we'll talk about a whole bunch of them, including Scarborough, um, including Belfast, including The Humans, and a whole bunch of other ones as well. But for now, that is it for this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening. I always appreciate chatting movies with you. It's nice to be back, back to a more regular movie schedule between now and the end of 2021. Hope you're all staying safe, and as always, have a great night.